You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Welcome back to Story Collider's Stories of COVID-19 series. I'm your host, Erin Barker, and this is part one of our final episode of our first Stories of COVID-19 series. And this one is on the theme of love. One of the most painful things about this time of social distancing, for me anyway, is that I can't show love to people in my life the way that I'm used to. I've watched a friend cry from six feet away, wishing I could wrap my arms around them. I'm keeping a long list of people who are very overdue for hugs when all of this is over. And the irony of it all is that while love is more difficult than ever to express and communicate right now through social distancing restrictions, love will also be what gets us through this time. It has to be. So in this episode, we have for you three stories of love. Whether that love is romantic love, like in our story today, or love between a daughter and her father, or even a COVID-19 researcher's platonic love for his subjects. So today, in part one, we'll hear about an unexpected commitment from a storyteller in France, followed by an interview with psychologist Dr. Joanne Davila about how COVID-19 is affecting relationships. And on Monday, in part two, we'll hear these other final tales. Our first story comes from writer Melanie Hamlet. It was recorded in her home in France. And I must warn you, this story, like all the best love stories, is a little bit R-rated. So I'm getting eaten out on a beach in France, on the French Riviera. By a beautiful French model. And it's like a dream because he's like actually like smart and funny and nice. And this is actually kind of a regular thing for me, not models, but like having fun, sexy, hot hookups with beautiful dudes who like want to pleasure me. Uh, that I'd been doing, I'd been on like a tender bender more or less for like four years. And uh, for me at that point in time, tender and, and, and hookups was about sexual empowerment because I, you know, four years earlier I had left. A, an abusive, super traumatizing relationship, physically, sexually, in every way possible. And this was my way of like reclaiming my power as a woman and being able to trust my intuition. And it was working out well. <laughs> um, and, you know, my first year in France, I was like, you know, it was bingo all the time, man, because I, I mean, I was supposed to be, you know, like a dried up 42 year old hag, but apparently in France, like men thought I was beautiful. I was I mean, like a cougar, for lack of a better word hooking up with guys 10, 15 years younger than me. All of them loved eating me out, you know, and were just treated me really well because I had a great betting system. So I was having fun. And then I met Anthony. <laughs> and I knew immediately this guy was special. I, I, 
I, we talked on the on the phone for like hours our first night, second night, third night. Then we finally went on a date. And actually, before I went on my first date, I fucked that model again because I just knew that my like fun, like libertine lifestyle was over. Um, and uh, and then on the second date with Anthony, we watched <laughs> after dinner, we watched Brene Brown's uh, TED talk on vulnerability. And he like paused it every 10 minutes and wanted to discuss it. And he cried at the end. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is everything that I'm not like in a yin yang kind of way. He's in super uh, good at communication. He's emotionally intelligent. He he's in touch with his feelings and knows how to talk about them. Um, and so, you know. I knew I didn't like him. Or I knew I liked him when I didn't want to sleep with him the first night, the second night, third night. Like I was in no hurry. I, I fuck guys I don't like on the first night, not guys I really like. There's there's no rush. Um, and so six months into our relationship, uh, we go on, on like a vacation together. We get this like uh, free, like tiny apartment in the South of France to stay in. And on the third day of our vacation, President Macron announces that we are in lockdown because, you know, this is the pandemic and now we're stuck inside. Now, people in the USA don't understand. Uh, our lockdown looked a little bit different than yours. We, uh, we you know, we could only leave the house to go to the pharmacy, the doctor, the grocery store. We had to have permission slips with a timestamp, the address, where I was born, my birth date, like all this crap. Um, and, and we could only leave, we could only go one kilometer from our house to exercise. And I, I, and they were strict about this. I got pulled over all the time. They're checking my little permission slip to make sure I wasn't more than a kilometer away. So, um, this, it was hardcore, but you know, uh, we flattened the curve. <laughs> um, and so basically I was on house arrest, which is not the first time I've been on house arrest. I've actually been on house arrest, like real house arrest when I was 17 for shoplifting and weed. Um, and I think this was actually worse uh, because we couldn't leave the house. Um, now, you know, th this is the first time I've also been <laughs> in like a like a healthy relationship with the dude, like like a long term committed relationship. I'd only dated seriously two other guys before. One was that guy who tried to like murder me, you know, like the violent dude. And that was at the age of 35. That was the first guy I ever dated. And then the next one was like, after that, like several years, it was like one year long. It was long distance. He, he was French. I was in Spain. It was, you know, I saw him once a month. So, so this was seriously the first real and awesome relationship I've been in. But this is intense, right? Not only because it's my first time, but I'm also a runner by nature. I'm a Sagittarius, like poster child Sagittarius. I lived in my truck for five years, like for fun, right? Like anytime I get bored, you know, it's backpacking, ski guide, raft guide. And anytime I got bored, I just roll away to a new town. I've lived in LA, New York, South America, Sweden, Spain, now France. Like not committing to a place or a person is like my thing, right? Freedom, you know. So now I am stuck with this dude in a house because the police literally won't let me leave. Um, so what I learned right away is that, uh, you know, as all people do, is that relationships are, are a mirror of yourself. Except now I'm in like a fucking fun house of mirrors. I have a constant witness to my craziness. 
I apparently I'm super fucking gross. Uh, uh, trash falls out of my pockets all the time. I don't know why I have wrappers all the time. I stir my coffee with my sunglasses. Uh, I leave crumbs everywhere. I'm a pretty thoughtless person <laughs> as I came to find out. And he had his stuff too, right? So we, we, we got in like, you know, diff had difficult conversations about this stuff because we're in like the pressure cooker, right? Of our relationship, much like the pandemic itself, which is a pressure cooker for like everything in the world. Um, and so this was like hard shit, but it was also like pretty cool at the same time. Like, I mean, he, he, he taught himself how to cook. He made me quiche all the time. And like, he made me dinner all the time. Um, he, <laughs> he offered to cut my hair after like month two of looking ridiculous. And, but he didn't just do that. He, he spent like days watching YouTube tutorials on how to cut and layer women's hair. <laughs> And he put me in a chair with like a towel around me and he was so gentle and he it took him like an hour to do it. And he was just, he treated me like this precious pearl, you know, just this, I, I, in that chair, I'm like, this guy adores me. I have no doubt about it. And I would trust him with anything. So after, you know, 82 days of being in this flat together, I realized that I'm still not sick of this person. In fact, I actually look forward to seeing him every morning when I wake up, which is weird. I've never spent this much time with anyone in my life. Um, and so at the end of the confinement, I realized um, that my visa renewal date had been switched to July. Now, now Anthony and I had been talking you know, way before confinement about, ah, maybe we'll like move in together. <laughs> maybe we'll get married and, you know, just change the visa to make our life easier. But like, we weren't serious about it. And we practically lived together, but I had my bachelor pad, right? Where I could write and like, go do my Melanie stuff, you know? And, but with this pandemic, like everything becomes more serious, right? And so the borders are closed. Um, there's travel bans and, and we didn't really realize we don't want it them to ever send me away or from him to not be able to come to the U.S. with me for any reason. So we just uh, and we didn't want to wait a whole nother year. A lot can happen in a year. So we just said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just get married. Why not? We survived a pandemic, you know, a lockdown. So uh, we got back to, when we got back to Lyon within a matter of weeks. We found a new apartment, moved into it together. I finally got rid of my like bachelor pad. And uh, and then we started planning this this wedding, which we had to do soon because the, you know, the, the visa appointment was soon. And I'm just thinking, well, we're just signing papers really at the mayor's office. Like, wow, we'll have like a big party with like the emotional bullshit later on, like a year later when the pandemic's over. Um, but you know, uh, the thing is, I'm, I, I, I've always hated weddings. I hate the idea of marriage. I'm a child of divorce. I actually, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a journalist and a writer. I actually wrote an article for Glamour magazine all the reasons why getting married is a bad idea for women, right? Like, like I'm firmly against this shit. And here I am planning a wedding. Uh, so, you know, we invited like 25 people because we didn't want to kill anybody, right? Like, even though we had crushed the curve, like the U.S. at this in July had like 70,000 cases a day. And we had like, you know, a few hundred in a country of 65 million. So we could have had a big wedding, but... His family had had 11 people who'd had the, the virus back in the spring. Two of them had been in the ICU, right? So we, 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 don't, we wanted to be responsible. Plus, none of my family could come because, you know, America's in their band from, from Europe. So um, we didn't even invite his extended family. It was super small. 
not a big deal. But as, as the days got closer, like, I mean, he's a super romantic, sentimental guy. So everything started to become like more and more like wedding-y. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, my, my mom is like, you know, convinced me to get like a, like wear a dress and like a white one. So I, I went and looking for one. I actually stumbled across like a white gown that was used and like super fucking cheap, but beautiful. And I, and, <laughs> and in the dressing room, I got period blood all over it because my diva cup runneth over. So I actually had no choice, but buy this fucking thing, but it's okay. I like, I put flowers on top of the blood. So it ended up working out, but, um, you know, I picked out like a, a pretty but super cheap bouquet. I bought some like fucking white lights and shit for like, you know, the ceremony afterwards and, you know, plants instead of flowers, blah, blah, blah. And we had masks made for everybody. Of course, Anthony being, you know, really caring about all of this so much, he spent two days stenciling our initials and the date of our wedding onto every fucking mask. Um, and, uh, you know, and so th during all of this, even before, you know, the actual wedding planning started, even when we were talking about marriage, I, I was crying every day. Like every day I went on a bike ride and I would bawl and I didn't know why, but I, I, I just every day. Now, I didn't have any doubt about what doubts at all about what we were doing. I knew that this was the right decision. And yet I'm I, I'm crying and it's starting to worry me because he's doing fine. He's so excited. You know, he's so, you know, confident about all this. And then like a week before the wedding, my friends um, held a, uh, in France, the bachelorette party is actually called bury the young girl party. Right. Where they, and, 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 you know, traditionally like you're supposed to like bury the boy and bury the girl and you like, you know, bury like wine and like a box full of like memorabilia from your childhood. And like, you're literally like, you know, whatever, putting that to rest and whatever. And that's when it occurred to me, why I'm fucking crying. This is grief. Like I am literally burying the old Melanie and I've been single for 42 years. Right. So this is like, it's my identity I'm burying. It's a whole chat. I'm so good at being single. I'm so fucking good. I finally got good at something and now it's over. Um, now I have to compromise. If I want to move, I can't just roll out of town. I got to ask on my end if he wants to do it too, you know? So, um, so, but I was finally okay with it because, you know, Men get to grieve this stuff, right? For men, it's a huge sacrifice to like, you know, to, to for for that one special lady, they'll they'll give up all their freedom. And they're allowed to be like conflicted about it a little bit. Women aren't. I'm supposed to be so thrilled I'm getting married. Oh my god, a man chose me. Oh, and it's like, fuck that, man. I, that's not how I felt. Anybody can get married, okay? <laughs> To actually want to choose to get married to someone very special that you're fucking linked to forever, possibly, with everything. That's a whole nother thing. So now that I know what it is, I'm like, okay, then that's normal. It's healthy for me to cry. And then and then one day we went to go pick out the cake. And, I, and he's like, babe, what do you think about a big red heart-shaped cake? <laughs> like... Uh, okay. Like I'm like fucking cheesy is like what I want to say, but he's so cute and sweet because he loves love. And this is what I love about this man. He's so tender. He, he, he's so fearless about being emotional and vulnerable and all that shit. And he helps me access parts of myself that I didn't even know were there. Um, and so I realized, okay, yeah, okay. It's okay to cry, but like, look, I'm gaining a fucking teammate. 
And, you know, being by my, my on my own is awesome, but it's also hard. Being single is hard. And now, I mean, and, you know, okay, I can't go peg some dude whenever I want, but, you know, there's also open relationships at some point if we, we could talk about that. But, like, anyway, we're, we, we decided we have no rules. We make our own rules. And I can talk to him about anything. He's the only person in my life that I can do that with. So, fuck, yeah, I'm going to marry this dude. And I'm in it. So, you know... <laughs> And I'm a tornado of rainbows is what he calls me. Like the only person in my life who like loves my fucking chaos. So, um, so I finally like buy into all of this fully. I get a manicure the day before the wedding. First time ever, last time ever. Uh, I get my hair done like professionally and they put like fucking little white flowers all over it. You know, uh, I got my mask. I got my period dress on, you know, walk in there with them and, and, uh, and, you know, he's like a super sentimental guy. So he actually wore my dad's, um, my dad's little handkerchief that, you know, my dad died two years ago of Alzheimer's. And he was like, babe, I really want him to be there with us, you know? And, uh, and then he does his vows. And this is like 25 people in front of us, 200 people back home on Zoom because I, I, people convinced me I should just keep asking anyone I want. And I'm listening to these vows and they're so much more beautiful than mine. And I, and I cry in public for maybe the first time in my life. And then I realized looking at that handkerchief that like my, so my dad always called me his wild child. He was sure I was like not the marrying type. And I realized like he would be so proud of me, not for getting married. No one gives a shit. He doesn't care. Like that, that's not an accomplishment, but but taking a huge step into this unknown and facing my biggest fear of my life, which is commitment and doing that with someone who's not a fucking loser, but like an awesome, awesome person. Hell yeah. He'd be proud of me for that. Um, so, you know, as much as I, I, I love the thrill of adventure and tender and hot models eating me out, none of that compares to being seen and loved fully by someone else. And I guess it just took police locking me into a house for me to be willing to take that step. That was Melanie Hamlet. Melanie is a multiple-time moth-winning storyteller, a comedian, and a writer from the New York and L.A. comedy scene who now lives in France, where she writes full-time and speaks French like a toddler. Her work can be heard on multiple podcasts, including Risk, and read in numerous publications, including The Washington Post, Huffington Post, Daily Beast, Glamour, Playboy, Guardian, Harper's Bazaar, and more. Before we move on to our interview segment, I want to give a quick reminder that you can catch more true personal stories about science at our online live shows. You can find out more about them at storyclider.org. You can also find out more about our online storytelling workshops. Sign-ups are now open for February. We offer an intro course every single month and electives beyond that after you take the intro course, so check that out at storyclider.org workshops. When I heard Melanie's story, it really made me think about how we can all probably get better about relationships during this time. We all have a lot to learn. I know I've learned a lot about my relationship during the pandemic. So I was excited to talk to psychologist Joanne Davila, professor of psychology at Stony Brook University, especially after I had a chance to watch a talk she gave for Harvard's COVID forum called Love in the Time of COVID, which I highly recommend and will link to on our website. 
Dr. Davila has a lot to share with us about not only how the pandemic is affecting relationships, but what we can do to get better at relationships during this time. Uh, welcome, Joanne. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you about the ways that the pandemic is affecting relationships, because it seems like this is a big issue in a lot of folks' lives right now. And I was wondering, how are you seeing the different ways that it's affecting relationships right now? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It really has been affecting people. Um, it's really changed relationships in certain ways and, and strained some of the relationship dynamics that are so important um, to healthy relationship functioning. And at the same time, we really need relationships and the support that they bring more than ever, in fact, because the pandemic is so stressful. So, um, you know, for many couples, um, what's resulted is an increase in the time that they spend together because they're at home, they're working at home and so forth. Um, and that can be really challenging for a lot of couples. So even though relationships really provide us with this um, important sense of safety and security, a key feature of that feeling secure in relationships has to do with balancing between intimacy, like closeness, um, and autonomy, a sense of independence. And when uh, couples are now spending so much time together, that balance can get disrupted. And that can lead to conflict or dissatisfaction. So people's personal routines get disrupted um, because both people are in the house, like, you know, say one person is used to just getting up uh, and having some nice quiet time in the morning by themselves. Maybe that's not happening anymore. Maybe their partner wants to get right up and do something together or have coffee together. Right? That can really change. Um, there's really, you know, depending in part on your living circumstances, there's, there's no privacy or private time unless you actually make it. Um, also the stress of the pandemic and everything that comes with it can make one person more needing or wanting of intimacy, or maybe just the opposite that they, you know, want more independence. So really trying to navigate this, um, disruption in how people balance, how, how close they are and how separate they are is one of the problems, um, that we see. Yeah, that makes complete sense, I think. Have you seen any examples of the pandemic bringing couples closer together? Um, yeah, actually, I think that can happen in two ways. I mean, for some couples who already have a really strong, solid relationship, um, some of them feel like it's just given them even more time to connect with one another and to appreciate that time that they have together. Um you know, couples maybe who didn't, who felt like they weren't spending enough time together may actually be enjoying this. Uh, I think it has also some to do with things like managing childcare and also with people's resources, particularly economic resources. I think for people who are more well-resourced, they might be having a bit of an easier time because they don't have so many other worries or stressors to think about. Um, but yeah, some couples are actually really enjoying this time together. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, 
I'm normally on the road quite a few days of the year with Story Collider. So this year is the first time when I've really spent every day with my husband. It's actually been kind of nice, a silver lining for us, I think. Exactly. So what advice do you have for folks who are experiencing challenges in their relationships during this time? Yeah, well... I think we really need to focus on a number of things. Um, and let me start first with talking a little bit about communication in couples and, and support that we can provide to one another. Because I think that's really, really important. Like I was saying, this pandemic, it's a major stressor and that can really tax it, people as individuals, right? We all have different reactions to these kinds of things and it taxes people as couples. And so... Um, knowing how to uh, communicate and support one another is going to be really important. And I'll, I'll give a few tips about that in a minute. Um, I also want to say that we also really need to learn how to manage our own feelings and our own reactions and sort of take some of our own responsibility for that. Because this is a time where most people are, you know, feeling more tense maybe short-tempered, maybe more anxious, maybe sad. And so we're having a lot of emotional reactions just as individuals that we really need to, to um, you know, deal with. So um, one of the things uh, that I've been studying is something that I call romantic competence. And what this means is um, it's the capacity for, for people to function adaptively in their romantic lives no matter what stage of the relationship process they're in, regardless of their relationship status or even the type of relationship they have. And I've been focusing on three skills that I think can really help couples navigate stress and communicate better and manage their emotions better. Um, and those skills are um, what I call insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation. So Insight is really about um, developing an awareness of who you are and who your partner is. So kind of getting to know yourself better and know your partner well and really just understand kind of what you need, why you act the way you do. Um, it also comes with learning from our mistakes, right? Kind of being able to figure out uh, what went right, what went wrong, how we can do things differently going forward. So it's all about that sort of awareness, understanding, and learning. And then mutuality is all about um, the idea that both people, or all people in a relationship, depending on how many people are in your relationship, they all have needs and they're all important. So this is really about communicating our needs clearly and directly uh, about being willing uh, to meet our partner's needs and to using both people's needs in the decisions that we make, which can be really hard under the best of circumstances. And then there's emotion regulation. And this is just about regulating your feelings in response to things that are happening in your relationship. So it's about learning how to keep your emotions calm when you're upset and keep things in perspective rather than overblowing them or over-dramatizing them. Uh, this is about sitting with our difficult feelings rather than being impulsive, right? Thinking about the choices we want to make, thinking about our decisions and actions. And it's about behaving in a way that lets us kind of maintain our self-respect and maintain our commitment to our needs, even when things are challenging. 
So these are the kinds of skills um, I think can really um, help couples. Yeah, if I could ask just a follow-up about emotion regulation. At StoryCollider, we're, we're all about vulnerability and expressing emotion as a storytelling organization. Um, but the way you describe emotion regulation doesn't necessarily mean not being vulnerable and not sharing your feelings and bottling it all up, right? Absolutely. Emotion regulation is very much about how we experience and express our feelings. And it's really important to express them. And this um, idea about being vulnerable is really key because one of the things being vulnerable does in a couple is to help each other really understand what's happening. So um, like a quintessential is, example is if a couple's having a fight and they're like angry at each other and you know, tr- you know, treating each other in a mean way, right? That's pretty typical. You get a lot of anger. But underneath that anger is typically something like hurt or fear or sadness. And I like to tell couples and, and you know, many relationship um, uh, scholars talk about this idea of if you can show your partner the vulnerable emotions, the soft emotions, and you can express those in a, in a vulnerable and, and soft way, your partner's going to hear you much better. They're going to stop blaming. They're going to be able to maybe hopefully reduce some of that anger and just be able to say like, oh gosh, this is what's happening for you. Wow. I didn't realize that's where this was coming from. So that's a key step in, um, you know, engaging in good emotion regulation in your relationship. Yeah. Um, so how can we become more romantically competent? Uh, for those of us who are listening to this and thinking, oh man, I don't know if I am romantically competent. Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, so I'll go through a couple of ideas I have about that. So for insight, um, insight is really about starting to ask yourself questions and seeing if you can, you know, really honestly answer them. So if something's happening in your relationship, you're not communicating well, you're having a fight, things aren't going well, you're unhappy. One of the first things you want to ask yourself is like, what's really the problem here? What is going on here? Um, and, and not just from a, you know, blaming perspective of the problem is this other person, but like, what's happening? What am I needing, wanting? How am I trying to get it? Is that working? What about my partner? What are they needing and how are they trying to get what they want? Why are we behaving the way we're, we're behaving? Like, what are the consequences? So insight is really about asking yourself a lot of difficult questions and being open to seeing new answers rather than just being stuck in your way of uh, understanding what's happening. Because you know, we all have our default ways that we sort of say, oh no, it's because of this or that. But well, wait a minute, let me step back a little and ask myself some hard questions and see if I can look at this with a more open mind. So those are the, some of the ways we think about um, developing some additional insight for ourselves. Um, in terms of mutuality, really the first thing there, and this in some ways can be the hardest when you're in, uh, you know, fighting with a partner is to just literally remember 
that both people have needs and those needs deserve to be met because we get so stuck in our own place, right? And we just forget that maybe I ought to look at my partner's perspective. Maybe I ought to take a peek at that and see if I can imagine what's going on for them. And that's a critical shift. If we can make that shift to kind of put ourselves in the partner's uh, position, then it's going to allow us to start to listen better, communicate better. And ultimately, what we want to do is we want to work so that that the, the couple, any problem they're facing, they can see it as a problem that they are facing together. So it's like me and you against the problem rather than me and you against each other. Um, and so by really listening to each other and taking their each other's perspective and this, this vulnerable emotions thing that we were talking about earlier, you know, showing your vulnerability can, can really help here. Yeah. I, I totally hear what you're saying there. And I feel like we could use the same concept, maybe even on a bigger level <laughs> in terms of society, not just in our relationships. <laughs> totally agree with that. Sometimes I have those moments where I feel like the pandemic is happening only to me, <laughs> you know? Uh, it might just be me as a self-absorbed person, but I, I suspect other people sometimes feel the same way. And it's it's good to remind yourself that other people are also dealing with things right now. Absolutely. So if I can, I just want to say a few more things about emotion regulation in terms of how we can help with that, because that's, that's a really hard one, right? So I think one of the um, things that we really want to do, uh, well, there's a couple of things. One is if our emotions really are getting the best of us, take a time out. Like that's critical. Like, you know, there you are in your house with your partner, nowhere else to go. If you are in a really challenging emotional state, just agree to take a little bit of time out because sometimes we just need that time to just take a breath and to start to let our head clear and our, our, our emotions clear a little so that we can start to say like, okay, what's really happening here? What's underneath what I'm feeling, right? What is, what are, what am I needing here? Um, do something that's soothing for you, something that you know is calming. That can be anything. It's different for different people. It could be listening to music or taking a walk and looking at the sunset or whatever it is that you have access to so that you can get yourself into a place where your, you know, your emotions are calm enough where you can make an intentional decision about what you want to do next, what you want to say, how you want to try to solve the problem, how you want to talk with your partner. You need to let those emotions kind of settle a little bit so that you're acting on uh, acting with, with intention, right? With purpose rather than just acting out of whatever you're feeling. This is great advice. Thank you for sharing this with us today. You're welcome. StoryClutter is so grateful to Joanne for sharing her knowledge and to Melanie for sharing her story. StoryClutter is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast series is produced by me, Erin Barker, with assistance from StoryClutter's Deputy Director, Nissa Greenberg, and Senior Podcast Editor, Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Clyder's board, our operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, and our interim executive director, Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, without whom none of this would be possible. The story featured in the first part of this episode was produced by Misha Gajewski. 
The theme music is by Eva Gertz of the Fulton Street Music Group. Stay tuned for two more stories in part two of Love on Monday. Until then, this is Story Collider signing off. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, love each other. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.